Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 132. It's an election special titled, What Now? I'm recording this in two parts. Today's election day, Tuesday, November 8th. And I'm going to record much of the show today, but I'm going to save some and record it tomorrow morning once we know what the results of the election will be. Hence the question, what now? Maybe I'll change the title. This past January, my son and I shared a taxi with a family from Israel on the four-hour ride from Trinidad to Havana, Cuba. The father owned a construction company in Israel, and he mentioned how he and his country looked to the United States for inspiration and leadership. He was a close follower of U.S. politics and was convinced that Donald Trump would be elected president. This was still early in the presidential primaries, and I told the man, I just didn't think it would happen, that the electorate would choose someone with more political experience, more foreign policy experience. Boy, was I wrong and naive. Now, I still don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you who I vote for. That's not what we're going to talk about in terms of who is the better candidate. Instead, I want to talk about the biggest loser in my mind of this election, and that is the truth. This past weekend, I was on Facebook when a news article appeared in my feed. The article was published by the Denver Guardian which claims to be Denver's oldest news source and one of the longest-running newspapers published in the United States. The headline read, FBI agents suspected in Hillary Clinton email leaks found dead in apparent murder-suicide. The article was shared by two of my Facebook friends, one of whom introduced it with the comment, you can't make this stuff up. Murder-suicide? Sure thing. Here's the problem. It was entirely made up. The story was fake, as was the entire Denver Guardian news site, which was filled with fake, stolen, or misleading stories. Its lead local news story was about a Walgreens robbery for a store that doesn't even exist in Denver, but is located in Baltimore, even though the article gave out the Denver police phone number. If you had information on this crime, you could report it to the Denver police. The obituaries in this fake newspaper are taken from the Baltimore Gazette. Many of the links lead to pages with no information other than to say the site is experiencing technical difficulty as it moves to its new interface. The Denver Post, which is the longest-running newspaper in Denver, pointed out that the DenverGuardian.com URL was only registered a year or two ago. Now, here's the sad part. Facebook's algorithm selected this fake news story for my feed and presented it in the same manner it presents news stories from legitimate sources. 
the only way to tell the article was fake was to read it, for one, and study it in detail. But had you just looked at the, the picture of a fire and the headline, and you couldn't have tell, you weren't able to tell, other than the Denver Guardian, it, I, I knew it couldn't have been real because I'd never heard of that newspaper. Now, this fake story is not an isolated incident. Last month, BuzzFeed analyzed more than 1,000 posts from six partisan political Facebook pages and found that 38% of posts from right-wing pages were either a mixture of true and false or mostly false information, while 19% of posts on left-wing-oriented pages were mostly false or a mixture of true and false. These fake stories proliferate because readers willingly share them without considering their authenticity. The stories match the reader's worldview, so they are presumed to be accurate. Farhad Manju recently wrote in the New York Times in an article titled, How the Internet is Loosening Our Grip on the Truth, that psychologists and other social scientists have repeatedly shown that when confronted with diverse information choices, people rarely act like rational, civic-minded automatons. Instead, we are roiled by preconceptions and biases, and we usually do what feels easiest. We gorge in information that confirms our ideas, and we shun what does not. That's the end of his quote. And then we share that information with like-minded friends, who in turn share it with their like-minded friends. In an academic study released last year titled The Spreading of Misinformation Online, the authors, and there's eight of them, so I won't read them or or share them. I'll have the links for you at moneyfortherestofus.net. And that's also we can sign up for my insider's guide, and that's free. I'll email you every week a summary article as well as that week's show notes and links and you just get that in your mailbox right after the episode is released. So that's at moneyfortherestofus.net. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. So this academic study, these authors use publicly available information from Facebook to evaluate how digital information and misinformation spreads. They systematically looked at the way science stories and conspiracy theories spread on Facebook and to whom. They found that the story spread quickly. So 40% of the science news sharing, so the amount of sharing being done, and 41% of the conspiracy stories sharing occurred within the first five hours. So very, very rapid diffusion throughout the Facebook ecosystem. Only 27% of the sharing occurred after one day. And so this was very much a concentrated event of sharing. They also found that homogeneity was the primary driver of diffusion. The stories were most likely to be shared by friends having a similar profile as the person where they got the story, who originally shared the story. In other words, the stories reverberated through the same echo chamber. It, just, it sort of got diffused through like-minded individual. This, this fact that we get so much of information, but people think like that, is something that David Brooks recently pointed out in his New York Times column. He met a guy from Idaho. It wasn't me, as you'll see. And this guy was certain that Donald Trump would win the election. And as again, we don't know if he won the election as I record this now. I don't know who's going to win the election. We'll see. 
So this gentleman from Idaho, he's, Brooke says, was wearing tattered, soiled overalls, missing a bunch of teeth, and was unnaturally skinny. He was probably about 50, but his haggard face looked 70. He was getting by aimlessly as a handyman. Brooks pointed to the polls and tried to persuade him that Hillary Clinton might win. But it was like telling a seagull could play billiards. Everybody he knows is voting Trump. So his entire lived experience points to a Trump landslide. And in fact, polls indicate that Trump will win the state of Idaho in a landslide. Commenters on both the right and the left have accused the main street media of bias during this election. The reality is all media pieces reflect the bias of the producers. Sometimes the bias is intentional, such as a partisan Facebook page. But more often than not, it is subconscious. All journalists have a worldview that influences their particular angle for covering a story even as they seek to adhere to journalistic ethics. Podcasters have a point of view. I have a point of view as I share with you. But there is a difference between having a conscious or subconscious bias when producing a story versus fabricating complete lies and passing it off as news. One thing journalists do that is often not found on the fake news stories that circulate on the Internet is journalists sign their real names and don't use pseudonyms. Readers can research the author and the publication or media outlet and decide if it is authentic and authoritative. As citizens, we have a responsibility to to identify a variety of authentic and authoritative news sources so that we can use a weight of evidence approach to determine what we believe to be true. Most of what we think we know to be true is not based on firsthand knowledge. It is based on our belief in what someone else has told us. It is based on trust. Anthony Rizzi, in his book, The Science Before Science, and this this was a book pointed out to me by a listener that had said, this book will change your life. And it, it has been absolutely fascinating. So in this book, he points out even our personal knowledge of the most basic facts, such as the earth is round, is based on trusting what our teachers have said and what scientists have purportedly proven. But very few of us have flown high enough into the atmosphere or space to personally verify the earth is round. Rizzi writes, satellite pictures seem to have a foursome knowledge, yet a second look reveals that concluding the Earth's roundness from a photo is at least two-tier faith. First, one must trust the editor of the publication that the picture has been reproduced faithfully and is what it purports to be, a picture of the Earth. Remember, most of us have not seen the shape of the continents revealed at, the, at that scale. When we see the satellite pictures of the Earth, it is only because we have seen other similar pictures that we think, oh, there's the Earth. Second, one must trust that the device that took the picture was designed and made correctly so it accurately portrayed what was there. Again, moderating factors like experience with and knowledge of a camera's camera can supply ancillary knowledge that increases the degree of one's trust in the truth of what is seen. Also, taking information from an authority or individual whose accuracy and truthfulness has been proven out multiple times in the past 
increases the reasonableness of one's trust. Collaboration from multiple sources does the same, end quote. Most of our knowledge is really what Rizzi calls faith-based on authority. Even our knowledge of science, our personal knowledge of science is faith-based on authority. We believe the scientists. And that is why it is critical we find multiple credible sources for our information, for our news. And yes, that often means paying money to gain access to those sources such as newspapers and other periodicals that have demonstrated their journalistic authority and ethics over decades. Always recognizing, and I'll get to this in a minute, that there will be an inherent bias. That's why we use a balance, a weight of evidence approach. Multiple sources. I personally subscribe and pay to the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Financial Times, the Economist, and will be subscribing to the Wall Street Journal in the next few days because I want multiple sources and I recognize that that there's some potential bias there but we cannot escape biases both our own and in others because in spite of the biases we must still seek truth by identifying multiple authoritative sources and, and then we weigh them we recognize that there's bias there but it's not nefarious. They're not trying to lie to us on purpose. It's their frame of reference as they present the story. They're following journalistic ethics, and you use multiple sources so you can recognize that, well, maybe there's a bias there, but you're still ultimately able to identify the truth, because we have to. We have to believe in someone. Rizzi writes, If we are unsuccessful in identifying trustworthy sources, we will either remain in a state of belief of erroneous things or we will discover that our sources are erroneous and become cynical about our ability to learn from others. Cynicism, disbelief, and a failure to verify the trustworthiness of where we get our news is what allows conspiracy theories to thrive and fake news to proliferate. What is a conspiracy theory? It is it is a belief in a false story where the believer doesn't verify the information from multiple sources. They're not from trusted sources. They don't have decades and decades of following journalistic ethics. These major newspapers, they make mistakes and then they admit when they're wrong. Usually they have ombudsmen that are monitoring them independently. And there's fact-checkers checking these things. And so there's some credibility there. There's some authority there. And we have to believe in someone. Otherwise, we become extremely cynical. And, and if we don't believe anyone, how in the heck can we live? What good is the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that protects free speech and the press if people believe and spread unverified lies or worse— don't trust anyone other than their closest friends and family members. Capitalism and democracy cannot function without trust in others and in institutions outside of our immediate circle and area of expertise. We have to be willing to trust authoritative strangers and get information from multiple authoritative sources. Otherwise, we can be manipulated. That's how democracies fall and dictators rise.
Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Now we have to use this weight of evidence getting information from multiple credible sources in our financial lives. Last week, for example, I mentioned a life settlement hedge fund. This is episode 131 and quoted their performance. On the hub, a member asked, and we talked about it in the plus episode for episode 131, should he invest in this hedge fund? And so I went back and I looked at the hedge fund a little closer in the information. And at the end of the day, it wasn't credible. First off, the track record wasn't audited. And I couldn't tell, I mentioned in that episode, I couldn't tell if it was gross or net or fees, but they were just numbers on the page. They weren't independently verified by an accounting firm that those performance numbers were correct. And as I spent more time on the site, the the principles, their little pictures were very small and grainy. It just didn't have the authoritative appearance. You can tell when something's fake. Not that this the firm is fake by any means, but you can tell in an era of, of transparency of the internet, you, you can look at a site and decide initially whether it's authoritative or not, whether it appears credible. And then you go get additional information. You get references and other, you get testimonials. Well, in, in the case of investing, you can't get testimonials, but you can talk and you can find out and you can, and I, I mentioned this to this particular gentleman that was thinking about investing up to 10% of his portfolio in, in this particular investment that you just need more information on how they're going about their process. There's still a leap of faith there, but if we get independent information from multiple sources, even if they might have a bias, 
that allows us to at least believe in what we think is the truth and not be, in most cases, misled. So we have to do it also in our financial lives. At this point, this is all recording on the day of the election. When I start up again, we'll know who won the U.S. presidential election. Hopefully we'll know. Hopefully it's, hopefully we'll know that they'll actually, that we'll know. We'll see how it turns out. So it is the morning after. It's Wednesday, November 9th, about 9.45 Eastern time. The financial markets in the U.S. have opened and they're flat, at least in the initial stages. The bond market yields are up. The 10-year treasury is up pretty big, about 10 basis points or 0.1%. The 30-year treasury is up about 15 basis points. So it uh, looks like the 30-year is about a 2.75% rate, and the 10-year treasury is about 1.96%, approaching 2%. What happened? We have President Trump elect, and the polls were wrong again. I'm, I'm glad I don't, I'm not a pollster for, I, I, I don't work as a pollster for a living. Now, I, I looked at the 538 site, I looked at Upworthy, their models going into the election showed 80% chance of Hillary Clinton winning, 20% for Trump. And as the night went on, you could see it reverse to where it's 50-50, and then suddenly 95% probability for Trump. These are probabilities, which means even with an 80% probability of winning for Clinton, two times out of 10, she could lose in the in th- these polls, they were wrong, but they were within the margin of error, which is why it's very, very difficult to, to be a pollster, and I'm glad I'm not doing that. Idaho, I mentioned the gentleman, the 50-year-old, convinced Idaho that Trump would win in a landslide. He definitely did here. And this is probably the quietest election I've ever seen in Idaho. Very, very few signs. I don't think I saw one Clinton sign the entire election in Idaho. I saw... Maybe three or four Trump signs. And apparently people, they, they made their choice. And, and I don't know anyone that voted for Trump. I really don't. I, but they're on Facebook. I have friends, high school friends, and they're very, very committed. And, and my takeaway is there is a strong feeling among most citizens that the current state of things are not what they want it to be, and they elected for elected a change. But who is the real Donald Trump? How volatile a president will he be? Who will he surround himself with? Who will his key appointments be, his advisors? His acceptance speech, well, after it was pretty clear that he was going to win, the markets fell, at least of futures, but his acceptance speech was, was, was very, what would be the word, essentially... Nice, I guess. Nice. He says, I just received a call from Secretary Clinton. She congratulated us. It's about us on our victory, and I congratulated her and her family on a very, very hard-fought campaign. I mean, she fought very hard. Hillary has worked very long and very hard over a long period of time, and we owe her a major debt of gratitude for her service to our country. I mean that very sincerely. Now it's time for America to bind the wounds of division have to get together to all Republicans and Democrats and independents across this nation. I say it's time for us to come together as one united people. 
Hopefully, that is the tone he will strike in his presidency. He talks about being partners with other nations. He says, from the beginning, ours was not a campaign, but rather an incredible and great movement made up of millions of hardworking men and women who love their country and want a better, brighter future for themselves and for their family. It is a movement comprised of Americans from all races, religions, backgrounds, and beliefs who want and expect our government to serve the people and serve the people at will. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully that is the case. We now have a situation where the Republican Party controls the Senate with 51 seats. It looks like they maintain control of the House, and now they have control of the presidency. Clearly, the majority of Americans have handed the Republicans an opportunity to address the problems and grievances the Republican Party has been bickering about and complaining about for the past eight years. And foremost among that is Obamacare, which Trump has promised to repeal, Republicans have promised to repeal. The question is, repeal for what? What is going to replace that? I have a situation, I've mentioned it in episode, episode 23, our Proposed premium increase for our health care costs through the Idaho exchange was 50% increase. And we're working through that, and we've come up with a solution and talk about it some other time using health share. But what will happen there? Trump says we're going to fix our inner cities and rebuild our highways, bridges, tunnels, airports, schools, hospitals. We're going to rebuild our infrastructure, which will become, by the way, second to none. And we will put millions of our people to work as we rebuild it. Which brings up the question of fiscal policy, which is probably why bond rates are rising. Trump's plan was somewhat vague. He, on the campaign trail, talked about tax cuts in the trillions of dollars. At the same time, he talked about cutting the, the, this infrastructure spending. And so... Ultimately, we're talking about an expansion in the federal government, although he says he's going to cut discretionary spending. But a few episodes ago, where federal funds flow, we know that most federal spending is going to Medicare and Social Security. It's going to the people that need the money in terms of their retirement, in terms of their health care, in terms of social safety net. That is the bulk of the money. And so will we see a ballooning budget deficit, an increase in the national debt? That's exactly what many Republicans have fought against. And so that'll be interesting to see how that comes about. He wants to, he says, Trump says, we have a great economic plan. We will double our growth and have the strongest economy anywhere in the world. At the same time, we will get along with all our other nations and willing to get along with us. We will be, we will have a great relationship. We expect to have great, great relationships. He wants to grow GDP greater than 3.5%. Now, much of GDP growth recently is, is a demographic issue as baby boomer age, but there is an opportunity to increase productivity, and we'll see how that goes. Trade is a question. Very, very strong rhetoric throughout that. Certainly, where will he come down on trade? What about the wall with Mexico? Are they hiring workers yet to build that? Will Mexico pay? And then monetary policy. Will the Fed increase rates? Will Janet Yellen stay as chair of the Federal Reserve? We've had a situation. We just did the monthly investment conditions report on the hub, and it showed the economy improving globally. 
in terms of global PMI, the best in two years in terms of some of those indicators. You're starting to see wages increase to some extent, inflation. And, and so potentially monetary policy, short-term policy by central banks will be less accommodated. Ultimately, there's a passing of the torch. And the Washington Post editorial today said Americans are not and have never been united by blood or creed, but by allegiance to a democratic system of government that shares power, cherishes the rule of law, and respects the dignity of individuals. We hope our newly elected president will show respect for that system. Americans must stand ready to support him if he does and to support the system whether he does or does not. And and that's the key to this episode. We have to support the system, which means, as I talked about earlier, supporting a free press, which means buying periodicals and newspapers, those entities that have shown authority and journalistic ethics so that we can form beliefs based on information that is credible. Back in episode 74 was... I talked about five wealth lessons from the Stoic. Last night, I was reading letter 74 on virtue as a refuge from worldly distractions. Virtue, in the Seneca Stoic sense and in early Greek history, as described by Aristotle, it means, virtue means to take actions and have feelings that are not excessive or deficient, but hit the mean. The right amount at the right time in the right manner, for the right reason. And when we live with virtue, take the right actions in the right measure, then that is an honorable life. Seneca says, scale down the honorable life as much as you like from the full hundred years and reduce it to a single day. It is equally honorable. Sometimes virtue is widespread, governing kingdoms, cities, and provinces, creating laws, developing friendships, and regulating the duties that hold good between relatives and children. And at other times, it is limited by the narrow bounds of poverty, exile, or bereavement. But it is no smaller when it is reduced from prouder heights to a private station, from a royal palace to a humble dwelling, or from a general and broad jurisdiction if it is gathered into the narrow limits of a private house or tiny corner. Virtue is just as great when it has retreated within itself and shut it on all sides. For its spirit is no less great and upright, its sagacity no less complete, its justice no less flexible. It is therefore equally happy. For happiness has its abode in one place only, namely in the mind itself, and is noble, steadfast, and calm. And this state cannot be attained without a knowledge of things divine and human." One of the things I found most distressing over the last few decades is the sheer, just the hate for the other political side. And, and that's not virtue. That's not taking, that's, a, that's taking excessive action. We shouldn't hate Donald Trump. We shouldn't hate Hillary Clinton. We might disagree with her policies, but ultimately this virtue has to start in ourselves in our homes, in our neighborhoods, start at the bottom and and make the connections there. My life is no different today with Trump elected president than yesterday. I'm going to do the same things. I'm going to keep podcasting. I'm going to keep managing my investments, adjust accordingly, 
as we see things happen. I'm going to continue to to live my life at a very, very local level, which is how most of us live. In some regards, it's like a sideshow, what's happening in Washington. We have to be involved in the process, but in some ways, it's just a sideshow, and we have to start with ourselves and, and live a happy life. That's episode 132, show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. And I've already mentioned the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. You can get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education of money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.